Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you people know what the centennial bulb is? The centennial bulb is in California. It is in a firehouse. I'll explain it to you then at the right time. Uh, if you'd please turn to the book of Jonah, as we've been going through this on Sunday evenings for some time. Jonah, the verse for consideration would be 2-7, but we're going to start our reading in verse 17. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We'll read 17 through the end of the chapter. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord in my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried. He heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me. And to take my life, the deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped around my head, at the roots of the mountains, I went down into the land where whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pray regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited up Jonah on dry land. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Please pray for me as I seek to preach this text, and pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. God and Father, we know that this is a primary means of grace, the primary means of grace. And so we would ask our God that your spirit would be with us. I pray, O oh Lord, for your help in my life. I pray that you would be with me as I proclaim this text. That you, O oh Lord, that I would sense your presence. And that your people, O oh God, would hear, that they would understand, that you would apply to us uh, this word of truth. That we might, O oh God, grow in the image and uh, our knowledge of Christ, and that, O oh God, we would pray that if any here are not converted, that you would grant redemption, you would grant salvation, and that you would apply this word to them. Our God, we pray for your grace. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever been at a point in your life when for some reason or another you were so discouraged and so distraught that you basically were empty of prayer. Not because of unbelief, and not because of ignorance, but because of being in such a weak state of mind spiritually and being in a weak state of mind emotionally that you simply could not bring yourself to pray. Calvin talked about, John Calvin talked about the fact that this is where we find uh, Jonah at this point in his life. He is very, very weak uh, spiritually. His thoughts can't be uh, 
energized to bring him up to the throne room of God, whereby he may interact with God and seek God's help and God's grace and God's presence with him. Uh, and not to be able to pray and not to be willing to pray in the life of the Christian is a very serious matter. Because if you can't pray, you can't worship. If you can't pray, you're not praying. Uh, you can't confess your sins. Uh, you can't intercede on behalf of other people. And the way to get out of that mindset is all of God's grace. And yet it takes energy and effort on our part, something called obedience, to be able to do that, to obey God. And to see God's face as he tells us to, what does it say in the book of James? You do not have because you do not ask or you ask with wrong motives. Uh, in this book, uh, we see this man, Jonah, the reluctant preacher. Uh, he rebels against a direct command from God. He refuses to do what God tells him to do. And he seeks to get as far away as he possibly can from Nineveh by going to Tarshish. He buys his tickets. He gets in the bottom in the belly of the ship and falls asleep. And there, shrouded in the darkness, surely God cannot see him. That's what he seems to think. That's what he seems to be operating out of that mindset. Now, this morning, as we look at this text, would have us to remember that God loves us more than we can ever think or imagine. I love that section from Ephesians where it talks about uh, the the height of the love of God, the depth of the love of God, uh, uh, that it is beyond understanding and comprehension of the deepness of the God, the, the, the love that God has for us. And because we have that assurance and that knowledge that God actively loves me moment by moment, day by day, there's not a second that passes. If I'm in Christ, there's not a second that passes that God does not love me and God is not willing to hear me when I come to him in prayer. His ears are always open to those who are his, and he is always ready to hear, always ready to help those who love him, those who trust him, those who come to him in faith and repentance. Three things this morning, and they're not going to be quickly. I'm not going to run over this. We'll be here for several hours. So count on it. After all, the gunners are here. They had not been here for long. They need to hear some long preaching. No, it won't be that long. Three things, prayer repressed, prayer revived, and prayer received. In the first place, then, prayer repressed. Here is Jonah uh, in a very, very terrible, terrible, frightening situation. And I told the congregation that was here one Sunday evening that recently, about a month or so ago, a man was actually swallowed by a well. Uh, it was a baby sort of well. And when the man was in the, the uh, where he was inside this creature, he saw some daylight, and it was the opening of the mouth, and he was kicking around. This fish finally spitting back out. It was in there a couple of minutes, or a minute or so, something like that. Uh, but he said he knew he was not in the mouth of a shark because he wasn't eating up, uh, that uh, he was alive. So anyway, here's Jonah. And keep in mind this. This is not uh, an, uh, uh, simply a story uh, that uh, is analogous. It is, uh, it is history. Uh, and what we see represented here happening again and again and again in the book of Jonah is God's sovereignty. And so that this fish that swallowed Jonah was especially prepared for that specific act on the part of God's providence, on the part of God's uh, working. It was something that he did that this fish was equipped so that it could swallow Jonah and Jonah would not die. He would be kept alive and he was kept alive to preserve. Therefore, 
uh, three days. Uh, so uh, it is that uh, uh, Jonah sought to get away from the Lord. He sought to fight the Lord, but he did not win the battle. And now he's at a point of being very, very downcast. And he has for quite some time had erroneous views of God. You can't outmaneuver God. Now, you can't get your way with something when God doesn't want you to have it. You simply can't do it. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be successful. And on top of that, you try to outmaneuver God. You try to get something in your life that God does not want you to have. You're going to be most miserable. And keep in mind this. According to what is written in Romans in the first chapter, uh, there are those who want things that are contrary to God's good purposes, contrary to obedience, and God gives them over to it. And that giving is an act of God's judgment upon them. It as he gave them over in Romans chapter 1 to do those things that should not be done. So we cannot outmaneuver God. We cannot in any way get something that God does not want us to have unless he gives it to us as an act of judgment. Um, so, uh, Jonah, what was his thinking of God? Listen, our, our views, our attitudes, our concepts of God will directly affect the way that we live, the things that we do, the way that we act. Your understanding of who God is and what God is like is going to affect the things that you do and how you behave. Uh, it's a natural consequence of our mindset. And so what was Jonah thinking then about God? Well, it must be that he thought God was impotent. It must be that he thought God's arms weren't terribly, terribly long. Because he was going to run away and get what he wanted, and there was nothing at all that God could do about it. Well, God did something. The sovereign God who controls the universe, the sovereign God who controls the weather, caused a storm to come upon uh, that uh, sea, and the men eventually had to throw Jonah over to, overboard. And there he was, swallowed by that great fish. Now, what do you think Jonah's mindset about God is now? Well, that God uh, gets his way. He may be thinking as well that God is angry with him because of what he has done. And you read here, and this is interesting, where he talks about, uh, my life was fainting away. What kind of state would you have to be in for you to say that about yourself? My life was fainting away. John Calvin said that uh, he had been so downcast in his mind that he suffered some kind of fainting and he had been harassed by anxious and perplexing thoughts, so not able by his own efforts to disengage himself. Here is a man that's in a state of mind of, of fear, a state of mind of depression, a state of mind of confusion, a state of mind of great deep uncertainty. Because he had no sense of honoring God in his life at all as he was going through this great effort uh, to get away with uh, escaping God's direct command. And now he's in a terrible fix. And I said one Sunday evening, I'm not sure that Jonah knew exactly where he was. It was total darkness. There's no light inside a fish that's under the water. There's no light. There is great uncertainty in what was going on in his mind. So here he says that he is 
spiritually and that he is fainting away. His life is at an end. He is in a state of mind in this condition and because of his own rebellion. How often have we been in some predicament simply because we were in rebellion against God? And you see the results of that so often, do we not? When we really examine our hearts in something, that uh, situation where we've hurt somebody, uh, we've uh, uh, done something that uh, has caused issues with other people, uh, we've done something that was dishonoring to Christ and the church itself uh, is uh, given a black eye. And so the name of Christ is dragged through the mud, uh, through the mud, dragged through the mud and all of these things uh, simply because of our own rebellion against God. Have you ever had a sense of guilt? Real guilt where, you know, what you did was wrong. And the hand of God is upon you, and you can't escape that sense of guilt. That's where Jonah is. And when you ask God to take it away, and you ask God to forgive you, and you know according to what is written in Scripture, He does, and yet there it is again, you just cannot get over that sense of guilt and shame. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a book out called Spiritual Depression. In that book, there's a chapter called That Certain Sin. He has uh, uh, the chapter basically deals with a particular sin that someone may have committed, and they just can't get beyond it, no matter what the fact that they understand intellectually uh, that when we come to Christ and we come to God and we confess and repent of our sin, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has our transgression been removed from us. And yet they're still gnawing at us, that sense of condemnation, that sense of guilt. And that's nothing more than a lie from the evil one. There's nothing else that we can do except tell God we're sorry. That we confess before the Lord that we did this. And we own it. And we name it before the Lord. And at that point, all is forgiven. And all is restored. Just as David... And when he had lost the joy of his salvation, he says there in Psalm 51, the penitent Psalm, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Sin ruins a peaceful mind that is engaged in fellowship with God. Well, the second thing then is um, prayer, prayer revitalized. Here in the text, he says, my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord. He remembers his God. Now, what does this mean when it says that uh, he remembered uh, God? Well, it, it does not mean uh, that he had completely forgotten uh, who God is or who God was or a relationship with God that he'd had for so many years. It doesn't mean that. He mentions God throughout this. Uh, he talks about the Lord throughout this. In these different verses, I called out to the Lord. Uh, you cast me into the deep. You, I'm driven from your sight. Uh, you brought me up. Um, you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. So Jonah remembers and knows who God is. It's not as if he has forgotten. It is the Lord who controls all things. It is the Lord who is the one result, uh, controlling the affairs of his life. 
But what had he forgotten when he says, I remembered the Lord. I remembered my God. Well, the first thing is, uh, there is that covenant relationship that is brought to mind. I will be a God to you and to your children after you. Does it uh, in any way give you some encouragement to know God's committed to you? That God is committed to you? It's not just our commitment to God. Rather, it is God committed to you. And he is so committed to you that he sustains you in that relationship where he promises, I will be a God to you and to your children after you. And that God will never, ever turn his back on you. Jonah turned his back upon God. He did so by his rebellion and his refusal to do what God called him to do. And here what Jonah is remembering, he certainly he understands that God is a God of infinite holiness. That God is a God of infinite power. That God is a God of infinite wisdom. And yet, when he was in the midst of this act of rebellion, when he was going through this great effort to turn away from the Lord, those things didn't matter, you see. Sin is blinding. Sin makes us insane. It makes us crazy. Jonah acted like a fool when he was doing the things he was doing. And so when temptations come to us and we refuse to do what God tells us to do or what we know God wants us to do, we act like we're crazy. To think that somehow and in some way I'm going to get my will over God's. It's not going to happen. But it is that Jonah comes to himself, if you will, and remembers this, that his God is a God of grace. His God is a God of mercy. Great grace and great mercy. Great kindness. That's the God that Jonah was worshiping. That's the God that Jonah served. And so we understand, and this should be certainly a part of our own mindset, that he is not a God who holds grudges. We tend to. Sometimes we hold grudges for years. It's not right. But I bet if we all sat down and were honest with one another, we could think of something that we still, still bothered us a little bit about somebody. Just really still bothered you. That's not God. Can you imagine what our life would be like if God held grudges? Against you. Say goodbye to heaven. Say goodbye to hope. Our God is not a God who holds grudges. So Jonah came to himself and he recognized that his God is a God of great grace. His God is a God of great goodness. His God is a God that is altogether merciful and kind to his people always. Listen to this. I don't care what kind of providence you've had to deal with. I don't care what you have had in your life that broke your heart. God always deals with you on the basis of his goodness, his mercy, and all of his purposes for you are kind. And you say, well, how can that possibly be? The things I've dealt with, how can you possibly say that? 
when my father was so terribly sick and I prayed for a year for him to get well and he did, he just got worse. Where's God's kindness in that? When you have a child that is afflicted with leukemia or some such sickness and you pray and pray and pray for him to get well and he doesn't get well, where's God's kindness in that? It's in Christ. That's where it is. It's in Christ. I don't care how hard you try or how much you exercise. Your day's coming when you're going home. That day is before all of us. God's great kindness is in this. That we can say like David when he lost his child, he can't come to me. But I can and I will go to him. That's God's kindness. If all the blessings of God were tied up in this life and nothing else, that's not very kind. But they're not, you see. They go way beyond this to infinite blessings that last forever. And so we have the great promises and the hope uh, that our life that is tied up in Christ is a life that is eternal. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, forever. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. He is full of kindness. And so that there will never come a time when God says, I've had enough of you. I've given you chance after chance after chance. And you have again and again and again blown it. That's it. That's not our God. You remember what Jesus said to, to Peter? Peter, being magnanimous, said, uh, How many times shall I forgive somebody that offend me? Seven times. <laughs> Christ said, You don't get it, Peter. You don't get it. Not seven times. Seventy times seven. That's what God requires of us. We don't forgive once. We don't forgive twice. We forgive as many times as someone comes to us and says, I'm sorry. Now, that does not mean that if you steal money from a business that they're going to hire you back or that you don't go to jail. But they shouldn't hold a grudge against you if you're sorry or repentant. But we believe that the law is to be upheld. So Jonah has forgotten the essential goodness of God. He remembers that. What is my God like? He is not a God who holds grudges. He is not a God who is full of hatred and vengeance. He is a God of kindness and mercy to his people. Well, the last thing then I would bring before you is that uh, prayer received. So here Jonah recognizes that God has received his prayer. His circumstances have not changed. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So he places his life into the hand of a God of grace and a God of mercy, even though his circumstances have not changed. Let me ask you this. Can you be in the middle of a very hard and trying time and still worship God and still praise God? Or is it this, that the circumstances must change if I'm going to worship, I'm going to praise, I'm going to honor God, then the circumstances have to change. Otherwise, don't expect anything to come from me. 
of noteworthy praise to you. Well, that's wrong. Our God has not changed. Our God is still the God of creation. Our God is still the God of great covenant promises. And our God is still the God of redemption. Even though our circumstances have not changed, Jonah remembers the Lord. He remembers God's holiness. My prayer came to you into your holy temple, into the far reaches of heaven. God heard my prayer, and he knows God received it. How does he know that? How does Jonah come to a position of saying this, that uh, my life was fainting away to one who now offers prayers to God and praises to God? It's by grace. It's by God's grace. Sanctification is, as you know, a work. We have the responsibility of being obedient. We have the responsibility of trusting God. Habakkuk 2.4, y'all should have memorized that by now. As many times as you've heard me quote it, plus it's one of our memory verses. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the just shall live by faith. And so we engage ourselves then in this matter of prayer. We engage ourselves in confessing. We engage ourselves then in trusting God that he will keep his promises. So Jonah now, being one who is fully convinced that God has received his prayer, is one who is encouraged. My prayers came to you, into your holy temple. So there is his great God, a God of holiness, a God of all power, a God who controls all things. He is motivated when he remembers his God, and so he prays to him. You need to remember, God always hears your prayers. You know what Aladdin's lamp is? Wouldn't it be great to have that lamp? Just rub that lamp. I wish my house was bigger. Boom. Bigger. wish my house had a new coat of paint. New coat of paint. I wish I had $30 million in my bank account. Of course, to get the taxes, leave about 15 bucks after all that. But you know what? We'd wish for things that weren't good for us. We'd wish for things that weren't helpful to us. That's what we would do. So God hears all of our prayers that we offer to him, but he does not always say yes to the prayers that we bring before him. Sometimes he says no. The centennial light, I remember asking you that at the beginning of the sermon. That light was made in 1901 and is still burning today. It was made in Ohio. It was given as a gift to a fire department in California. And it's been off very few times, once a power failure. And it hangs in Station 6 in uh, Livermore, California. The last time they moved, it was in 1976, where rather than unscrewing the bulb, they cut the line. They were afraid if they unscrewed the bulb, they'd mess it up. So they cut the line. They made a special box for it. They took it on a fire truck to his new home. The electrician was waiting there. It's kind of like a, you know, a heart doctor, but ready, ready to change somebody's heart and heart transplant. Had a guy waiting there, hooked it up, and it's burning. 120 years that light bulb's been working. They don't last a week or two now. wonder what happened. But what's the purpose of a light? 
The purpose of a light is to illuminate things so you can see, right? You get up in the middle of the night and bump, even though you live in that room, you bump into stuff, you're trying to find your way around. You turn on the light, you can see everything. What's the point of the story about the light bulb besides it's just kind of a cool story? It's this. Your life is lived out as if you were under a light all the time as far as God is concerned. In Psalm 139, light and darkness are alike to you. Perhaps Jonah thought that he was free as he was hidden in the belly of that ship, but he was not. No thought you have, no deed you do, no action you commit is hidden from God. Not one. He sees all of them, and he makes a judgment against it. He evaluates it. Jonah had forgotten that. Jonah had forgotten that his God always was seeing, that his God was always knowing, and his God was always present. Jonah had forgotten that. We need to live our lives as the awakened Jonah, as the one who said this, then I remembered the Lord. I remembered my God. One thing it will do if we keep in mind that God is ever watching us, it will help us and encourage us in obedience. Another thing it will do is help us and encourage us simply in life of comfort. There are things that we deal with that we don't understand. But one thing that we need to remember always is that God always has his eyes on us. And he's always with us. And he loves us. The question is, do you know Christ? Do you have an affection for uh, the Savior? And are you trusting him for your salvation. If you'd not, all you have to do is come to him. That's the great invitation of the gospel. Jesus said, come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And know this, that if you're in Christ, whatever you may have done in the past, you've confessed it to God is forgiven. The marvelous thing even is this, the sins we don't even, we're not even aware that we committed them, they're forgiven too. It's not going to be on the judgment day, says, well, David, here's this bunch of stuff over here that you did. You, didn't, you weren't even aware of it, and uh, we've got to do something about this. Uh, I'm not sure what, but we've got to do something about this. That's not the way it works. It's not like an accounting thing where you have, a, you've got all these debts here. Dave, you've got to do something about these debts. No, they've been covered. The things I do knowingly, the things I do unknowingly that offend God, they're taken care of. And it is as we remember our God as the great God of the covenant, the great God of mercy, the great God of kindness and peace, that there is no reason nor is there any excuse for me not going to him in prayer. Knowing that he hears and knowing that he loves me. Prayer is never a vain activity in the life of the Christian. Never. We need to make more use of it. 
We've been through a kind of hard year and a half at the church, mostly because of COVID. Not simply, but a lot of, because of COVID, a lot of churches have dealt with things that are hard. What do we do? We pray. And we act. And we work in faith. But prayer is essential. How do you receive God's blessings? You ask Him. You pray for it. Our God is always with us, and He loves us, and He will never leave us nor forsake us, and He's quite merciful. Let's pray.